0: Tonight, we're going to continue a series on the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to follow along and consider some of the things that we have to say this evening from the Scriptures. And I will say this, tonight's lesson is probably going to be one of those that, you know, I'm preaching to the choir, more or less, for the most part. Everyone is going to accept the things that I have to say tonight. I think, at least I think that's the case. But uh, these are things that we need to to remember and things that we need to know the person and nature of the Holy Spirit is what we're going to be studying tonight from the scriptures. So get your Bible out and let's let's plan to turn to these scriptures and let's see what the Bible, what the Holy Spirit has to say about himself. It is good to be back tonight and we do have some who are, who were not with us this morning who are with us tonight. Thank you for being with us. And as always, if you do have a question or if you have a comment that you'd like to leave with us, Uh, you can come to me. I'd be glad to sit down with an open Bible and uh, with an open heart and examine the things that you have to, to ask and see what the Bible has to say about that. We pointed out last Sunday evening that the only credible source of information about the Holy Spirit is the information that the Holy Spirit has given to us in the Bible. It is the only source of valid, objective information. It is the inspired source and we pointed out that there are a lot of people who have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit these days they all claim to have the Holy Spirit but yet they all teach different things and so it ought to be no surprise to us that these fellows don't know the truth about the Holy Spirit and they don't have the Holy Spirit as they claim since they are teaching so many different things and teaching things contrary to the Scriptures so we need to we need to rely upon what the Scriptures have to say It's the only inspired source. The Holy Spirit has revealed all the truth about himself that we can know. There is no more truth to be revealed about the Holy Spirit or anything else that God has to reveal to anyone today. There's nothing left. So anybody who comes along and tells you that God told me last night, well, point point a note, you know, mark it down if you will. Mark that fellow in your mind. He's a false teacher. Because the Holy Spirit did not come to him last night and tell him anything. The Holy Spirit has already revealed the totality of truth. We must examine what the Holy Spirit has said about himself. And we pointed out last week that many people misunderstand the working of the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going to get to eventually after we get through with some of the preliminary and fundamental teachings regarding the Holy Spirit. We'll be discussing subjects such as Holy Spirit Baptism. There's a lot of confusion about that today. A lot of confusion. The gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? And what about miraculous gifts? There are many who teach that miraculous gifts are still taking place today. That the Holy Spirit is still working miracles. And uh, so we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about that. What about the non-miraculous working of the Holy Spirit? Many profess that the Holy Spirit is literally, personally indwelling them and leading them. More or less, they are, they are saying that the Holy Spirit is possessing them. And thus, the Holy Spirit is guiding them separate and apart from the Word. And I've had some of these folks tell me they don't need the Bible anymore at all. They can just throw their Bibles away because they have something better than the Bible. And uh, then how does the Holy Spirit lead us? These are some questions that we're going to be asking and examining. Tonight, though, we're going to talk about the nature and the personality of the Holy Spirit. There are many false teachings out there regarding the person and nature of the Holy Spirit. Many believe that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. He's just a, or he's just a manifestation of the Father, He he is not a person of the Godhead, although what does the Bible teach about that? There are, again, many false teachings out there. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtire Society, says that um, the Holy Spirit is not a who. He's a what? (laughs) Uh, This is a quote from The Truth That Leads to Eternal Life by the Watchtire Society. As for the Holy Spirit, the so-called third person of the Trinity, we have already seen that it is not a person, but God's active force. The Holy Spirit is not a person. We pointed out last week that the Bible uses the term spirit in a lot of different ways. We, We pointed out that, yes, the human spirit is the same Greek word pneuma is used to reference the human spirit now there are some terms that are associated in the context with the term pneuma that will help us to identify how the term is being used but the term pneuma itself translated spirit is used in a lot of different ways sometimes it's even used as merely an attitude okay as, as the spirit of adoption the spirit of stupor the spirit of antichrist the spirit of truth the spirit of meekness uh, it depends on the context and the context does help us to understand but also, the New Testament presents, and so does the Old Testament, as we pointed out last week, the Spirit of God is a distinct, self-conscious, rational individuality that Jesus promised to the apostles in John fourteen 26. We're going to be looking at that passage closely tonight. The Holy Spirit empowered the apostles to accomplish their work. The Holy Spirit revealed the truth of God to the apostles. And the Holy Spirit confirmed the apostles and prophets as God's spokesman, also in the, the process confirming the words that He revealed to them. The Holy Spirit was very active in the New Testament church. And throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is presented to us as a person. Now, what is a person? Certainly a person can be thought of in different ways, but at least you have to have this basic concept a person is a self-conscious rational being um if it's not a self-conscious rational being it's not really a person now it doesn't have to be a human person angels are persons god the father is a person jesus christ is a person You are a person. You are a self-conscious, rational individual. I I think that this will help us even understand one of the senses in which when God made man, he made us in his image. We are persons who have the ability to reason. We are self-conscious of ourselves. The word being, uh, a little more vague, but in the singular, uh, the nature or essence of a person. Um conscious existence we're conscious of our existence our own existence so with those two terms before us what is a person i want to say to you the bible clearly teaches that the holy spirit is a person in this sense the holy spirit is a self-conscious rational being who is conscious of his own existence The basic idea, then, is that an individual with conscious existence, with life, thought, volition, action, and influence. The Bible presents a person as a substance that can do personal and relational things, such as speaking, such as thinking, such as feeling and acting, something that these personal things it does these personal things uh, necessitates us to understand as a person like God himself the father the son angels and human beings so how does the Holy Spirit fare up under this criteria what about speaking and thinking and feeling and acting in John the 14th chapter beginning in verse 15 Jesus is here speaking with his apostles on the night of his betrayal and his arrest in the garden the day before he is crucified and jesus is instructing his apostles regarding the comforter whom he will send look at verse 16 of john 14 and i will pray the father and he will give you another helper you see that's distinct right distinct from the son that he may abide with you forever that is the comforter the helper he will abide with you forever the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the Holy Spirit, the helper here is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is using personal pronouns. Although I realize that in the Greek, you cannot absolutely prove that these pronouns are actually personal pronouns there are some questions about that but they're they're not uh, you know the arguments that are made against these pronouns being personal is rather sketchy in my opinion but nevertheless I understand that you cannot make an argument solely on the basis of the pronouns used in this text however every scholar that I am aware of every every translation that I'm aware of except for the New World Translation renders these Pronouns, as personal pronouns in relationship to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring, you to, bring to your remembrance of all things that I said to you. Then you get into chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. So you've got the Father sending the Holy Spirit in the authority or the name of Jesus Christ, whom the Holy Spirit will then reveal and tell and instruct the disciples the things that Jesus would have them to know. The Holy Spirit is teaching in this process. And he's going to teach them the things that God instructs. Notice in verse 7 of John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Then Jesus explains how that process works, but we're not so much interested tonight in that process. That will be another lesson. Verse 13, picking up, He says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. I'll tell you what, even though from the just the pure Greek structure of these verses, you may not be able to make an absolute concrete argument on the personal pronouns, but The Holy Spirit in this context is clearly uh, manifested as one who will do certain things of his own will, of his own actions. He is going to be acting under the authority of the Father. So there is clearly a distinction between the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be acting in accordance with the Holy Spirit's will. So he is submitting to the will of the Father. And he's also submitting to the will of the Son in this case. And he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. It will guide you into all truth. For it will not speak on it. It is speaking. No, he is speaking. He's not going to speak on his own personal authority. But whatever he hears, so he can also hear, he can comprehend, he can then relay information that is given to him to the apostles. And he will tell you things to come. He will inform you. And he will glorify me. My friends, and it can't do those things. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And it cannot do those things. The Holy Spirit speaks in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Holy Spirit expressly says that some will depart from the faith. Now this is an express statement given by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit expressly, clearly states. The Holy Spirit is using words. The Spirit spoke and gave directions to Philip in Acts 8 and verse 29. Go and join yourself to that chariot. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and gave him charge concerning the Gentiles in Acts 10, verses 19 and 20. The Holy Spirit sent the apostle Peter to the house of Cornelius. Told him not to be concerned that that this is the will of God. That this is what you're supposed to be doing. He spoke to the brethren at Antioch concerning Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, 1 through 4. Prepare them and send them on the journey that I have chosen for them. The Holy Spirit teaches in John fourteen twenty-six, and he would teach them all things. He would guide them into all truth in John sixteen, thirteen. He was to testify of Jesus, just as the apostles were to bear witness of Jesus. The apostles are personal beings. Only a personal being can so testify to Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. And by the way, you know, there are passages such as uh, First Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, where it talks about how the Holy Spirit, no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is convincing people, demonstrating that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is confirming and testifying to that fact. The Holy Spirit guides, he hears, he tells He would continue the work of Christ and guide the apostles to complete their mission. Empowering them, supporting them, comforting them, helping them, providing their needs. The Holy Spirit was very active. How could he just be an it? An impersonal force sent forth from God. In Acts 16 and verses 6 and 7, the Holy Spirit forbade the Apostle Paul and his company from going throughout other areas of Asia. And then he got, Paul got the message to go on into Macedonia. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Romans 8 and verse 26. And I know there are some who question whether this is the Holy Spirit or our personal spirit. I believe that it is the Holy Spirit here, but it's not something that the Holy Spirit does to us. It's something that the Holy Spirit does for us. For he searches the mind of God, but he also searches the mind of men. And he knows what our needs are. And the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit knows the mind of the Father. The Holy Spirit makes decisions in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11. He distributed the miraculous gifts to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit has a will. So he's acting. He's acting according to his own will. He has a mind, Romans eight twenty seven. He has knowledge, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. He loves in Romans 15 and verse 30. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He can be blasphemed, Matthew 12, 31 and 32. And that is more serious than speaking against Jesus Christ himself. But of course, to speak to blaspheme the Holy Spirit means to reject the confirmation, the miraculous powers manifested by Jesus, confirming who He was. That was accomplished by the Holy Spirit. They rejected that confirmation. He can be insulted Hebrews ten and verse twenty nine. Insult the Spirit of grace. He can be lied to Acts five and verse three. He can be resisted Acts seven fifty one through fifty three. Clearly, the Bible presents him as a person, as someone who has volition, someone who has a will. And since he can speak, think, teach, act, empower as he wills, and be grieved, angered, lied to, he must be a personal being, not a mere animated force. So those who teach that he's a mere animated force are wrong about that. Um, there are other false concepts too that we'll get to in a moment. But okay, if he is a person, then all right. What about the nature of the Holy Spirit? Well, he's a person, but what kind of person? Is he an angel? He's certainly not a human being. Is he an angel? Well, no. He's not ever classified in the groups of angels. How is he classified in the Scripture? How are we to understand the nature? of the Holy Spirit. Is he a supreme being? Um, Angels are personal beings, but not supreme beings. What does the Bible say? Um, What about his attributes? Okay, we can tell the nature of something or someone by what they are able to accomplish. What are the attributes of the Holy Spirit? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And verses 10 through 12, I want you to notice something the Apostle Paul here reveals to us about the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, the Holy Spirit has revealed certain things. He's revealed these things to the apostles, yea, the deep things of God. Now, how does the Holy Spirit know the deep things of God? What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man? Uh, You know, I, as we talked about this morning, how do we come to know ourselves? We have to be honest with ourselves. But our conscience, our spirit, can discern the true state or condition of ourselves. We can understand, we can know what we are thinking. Uh, you do not know what I'm thinking unless I tell you. Right? Unless I tell you, or I, you know, somehow, write it down verbally, however I communicate, I have to tell you. You cannot read my mind, but I know my own thoughts. How does the Holy Spirit, in such a, 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 a secretive, or maybe I should say, uh, the deep things of my understanding, I can, I can understand my own understanding. How does the Holy Spirit know the depths of God's understanding if He is not extremely intricately associated with the Father. How is that possible? To know the deep things of God in his mind and be able to then express them to human beings. Yea, the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. He's probing. He's digging. He's finding out. And he's understanding. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God omnipresence. Now, by the way, omniscience, the Holy Spirit also searches our hearts. And there are many other things that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit knowing. Romans chapter 8, I think, is one of those chapters where it talks about the Holy Spirit being aware of our circumstances and the ability then to relay that to the Father and thus being aware of it. But omnipresence also. Where can you go from your spirit? Where can I go from your spirit? That's what The psalmist said in Psalms 139 and verses 7 through 10. Can I go into the depths of the sea? The depths of the earth? Where can I go and hide from the spirit of God? There's omnipresence. You can't. Eternal. In Hebrews 9 and verse 14. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself. Jesus offered himself through the eternal spirit. And most commentators believe that 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 is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit through the miraculous, also the, the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, according to Romans chapter 8. Uh, so, what about his works? He was involved in the creation of the world, Genesis 1 and verse 2. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, hovered above the face of the earth, the face of the deep. He was involved in the working of miracles, We see that throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself worked miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. All the apostles worked their miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, both in the Old and the New Testament, revealed by the Holy Spirit. He was involved in the redemption of man in Hebrews 9 and verse 14. He is involved in the regeneration of man, John 3, 3 through 5. We must be born again born of water and the spirit it is a spiritual birth it is the spirit that gives life in titus 3 and verses 4 through 6 washing of regeneration and renewing of the holy spirit is the holy spirit who makes us alive in order to make something alive there has to be life and a life-giving spirit is what the spirit is So the Holy Spirit is doing all of these things. Of course, in Acts 5 and verses 3 and 4, perhaps one of the clearest passages, uh, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, Ananias and Sapphira had conceived this idea of, of holding back some of the proceeds that they had raised, that they had gotten from some property that they sold. And Peter was made aware of it. Now, Ananias didn't tell him. Nobody else told him. The Holy Spirit told him. The Holy Spirit told Peter about this plot that they had. And so he says, you have not lied to men, in verse 4, you have not lied to men, but to God. So when Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, as Paul or Peter says... He lied to God. In verse 8, in verse 8, it says, how is it, talking to Sapphira, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? To test the Spirit of the Lord is to test God. To lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. Now, perhaps another passage that I think that we need to think about is found in Matthew and the 28th chapter. Matthew chapter 28, passage we're all familiar with, beginning in verse 18. Jesus there says, all authority, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of, this, of the age. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what? When a person is baptized, that, inter, that preposition there is very interesting. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That preposition is different than the one we find in Acts chapter 2. Baptized, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That word in Acts 2 and verse 38 is the preposition epi, which means upon, in the name of, upon the authority of Jesus Christ. Here the preposition is different. It is relational. So when you're baptized, the point that Jesus is making is that when you baptize people, you're baptizing them into a relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. My friend, what if you are not in a relationship with the Holy Spirit? You know what? In Acts the 19th chapter, when the Apostle Paul comes to Ephesus, he finds 12 men who were claiming to be disciples. And he asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit. What was their answer? We have not so much as heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Red flag. You know what? They had not been baptized into a relationship with God. They were not saved people. That's why they had to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They had to obey Jesus Christ and be baptized into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How could they have been baptized right and not have heard of the Holy Spirit? And how important was it for them to hear about the Holy Spirit? You roll that one around in your head a little bit. But when Jesus sent, out, sent them out on the Great Commission, they were to baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That should tell you something right there about the importance, the nature of the Holy Spirit. He's not just a mere angel. He's not, certainly, he's not a mere expression or manifestation of God. What relationship does the Holy Spirit maintain with the Father and with Jesus Christ? Now there are, as I stated earlier, some false, untenable views. There are some false views. Tritheism, we need to realize there's not three gods. There are not three gods. There's only one God. Only one God. I am not a tritheist. I am a monotheist, I believe there's only one God, but I believe there are three persons who make up that divine nature, that divine essence, three separate, distinct, self-conscious, rational individualities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all equally God. In a sense... You can take a married couple or a family of three, a father, a wife, and a son. That is one family. And they are all equally human. Let's say that, go back to the beginning with Adam, and Eve, and you had, well, after um, they had Cain and Abel, I guess that was four, but that was that was all there was of humanity. That was it. There was one humanity. My friend, there's only one deity. That's it. But there were four distinct persons. We're not saying that there are three gods. Now, because of some confusion, I'm not saying that's an easy concept to grasp. Although it is biblical because the Bible says in Genesis from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, when God took Adam, And made of him his rib a woman and brought her to him they became what one flesh how many persons two how many how how many though one flesh and since that's a difficult concept for some to grasp there were those like Arian Arius in around 300 A.D. Um, this is kind of where the Jehovah Witnesses get their ideas. It's it's very similar to what Arius taught. He believed that the Father created the Son. The Son is a created being who then created everything else, including the Holy Spirit. Uh, That was what Arius believed. Then you had Sibelius in around 400, a little bit before 400 A.D. He taught that there's only one person in the Godhead but yet manifested himself in three distinct and different modes. None of which existed all at one point in time, although that contradicts what the Scriptures would say about several passages. But nevertheless, Sibelius Sibelius taught that there's only one person, but he manifests himself in three different persons, or three different manifestations, not persons, but manifestations. Uh, One Pentecostals teach this this very same idea today. Uh, But yet none of those can be defended by the Scriptures. We know clearly from the Scripture that Jesus and the Father were separate and distinct individuals, yet they were united in purpose and in plan. They were united also, my friend, in nature. Jesus says, For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. Jesus is not the Father. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Father is not the Spirit. But yet they all relationally are the same. They are all in nature the same. In Acts 10 and verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. There is an interesting passage in Matthew chapter 3 where you do have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all present at the same time as John baptizes Jesus. What happened when John baptized Jesus? There was a voice that came from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit then is said to descend from heaven. In the form of a dove. And lit upon Jesus. Jesus is the son. And yet these three are spoken of as being in such close relationship with one another. That if you're going to be saved, my friend, you have to have all three. You cannot be saved without any one of these three persons in the Godhead. That's telling in my mind. The Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. There's clearly three distinct persons, self-conscious, rational beings in all of these passages and many other passages in the Scriptures. So there's one God, one divine nature, if you will, not two, not three, not four divine natures, but one. And one of the, another thing that I think would help us, the term God itself is kind of an ambiguous term. It's used in different ways, much like the word spirit. The word God in the Hebrew, in fact, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In fact, the very first couple of verses, in the beginning, God said, God, that word is from the Hebrew Elohim. That is a plural term in and of itself. That is why, when you read in verse 26, Elohim, God said, let us make man in our image. That's plural. But yet there's one God. They are such a tight unity, much like a husband and a wife. Such a tight unity, you can't really separate them. God in Hebrew is always plural. Elohim. Occurs over 2,500 times. And yes, this very term is also even used of men. Of human judges. Of Moses. Now, of course, metaphorically. But the term is used. Of Moses. You are as a god to Pharaoh. You are as god to Aaron. And the judges of Israel are as god. I know it's metaphorical, but the term is used even to reference men. But it's always in... You know, in the sense of one who has authority and a positional authority. One deity, one God, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, holy, eternal, one divine nature, but yet distinct in persons. This is set in contrast to the pagan theistic views, that is, they had many deities. And notice, here's an important point to keep in mind. Zeus, Aphrodite, Apollo, or Eris, or Poseidon, or Hades, or you can just go down the list of of Roman mythology or Greek mythology and all their gods. Or you can go back to the ancient cultures and their pagan gods. Here's the thing that you're going to find. All of their gods and their varieties are distinct and different. Their natures are different. They're not working together in perfect unity and harmony. They are not of the same nature. They're all different in nature. They have different qualities. They have different attributes. And there's the difference. They're different, distinct, not only in person, but in character. And in work, and in relationships. But the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are so united that really you can't divide them. So, one God, one divine nature. The word God, by the way, means divine nature. And uh, that's the way the term is used when it references God. Here's a simple, uh, the term one, by the way, just throw this out there, and the lesson's yours. The term one itself, in the Hebrew, it comes from a Hebrew term ihad. Um, Genesis 2 24, I've already mentioned that passage. They shall be one flesh. How many persons are in that one flesh? In Genesis 34 verse 16, we'll become one Ihad people. The whole descent the descendants of Abraham were to be one people. One Lord our God is one Ihad Lord. One Lord. That's the same Hebrew term. A united plurality. So united that they are one. And they cannot be divided. The Father certainly is the one who has or possesses the role of authority over everything else. And many times I think that is why he is referred to as the one true God. He's the one who is above, as far as authority is concerned, the others. But that doesn't mean that Jesus and and the Holy Spirit do not have the same nature. Thus, they can be spoken of also as God. They have the same nature. They are divine in nature, with the same attributes, the same purpose. And yet, there is but one God. Most misunderstanding is not so much what the Holy Spirit does, but how he does it Or a lot of it is simply caused because trying to understand God certainly is not the easiest thing in the world. Because we are trying to understand a person, a being, and a group of uh, three persons who are so high above us that we simply do not have the capacity to fully comprehend it. And so, what we need to simply do is accept by faith and be satisfied with the things that the Holy Spirit Himself has said. And so, the lesson tonight the Holy Spirit, He is a personal being. He says that He is. The Holy Spirit is a person, He is a divine person. He has the characteristics, the attributes of deity. And He acts in such a way that God has acted. And he does the things of God. There is one God, divine nature, but yet there are three distinct divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord willing, in our next lesson, we're going to talk about uh, the working of the Holy Spirit and don't know exactly which work or action we're going to be talking about, probably miraculous gifts, but Lord willing, we'll pick that up next time. Until then, though, Tonight, the lesson is yours, and if you have any questions, I'd be glad to sit down with you and do what I can to go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about answering your question. Uh, Maybe you're here tonight, though, and you've never entered obedience to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has told us what we must do in order to be saved. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we must accept those things that He has revealed to us about Jesus, that we must conform our lives to the teaching of Jesus. That has been revealed by the Spirit. And we must be baptized into Christ. And it is by one one Spirit that we are all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. So let us adhere to the things of the Spirit and conform our lives accordingly. If we can help you in any way, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.